Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Now, a lot of people just flat out, if you said the Bible says, their next response is going to be, I don't believe the Bible. But Jesus says, well, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, then you can respond. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and uh, there will always be a biblical answer for everything people have to say. And, and my point is this, people really need to know the Word. Well, a new week is upon us, as is a new study from Pastor Sam. Today we have part one of his two-part study entitled The Great Commandment. We are in Luke chapter 10, and we will begin today in verse 25. This study will take us through the end of the chapter, and we will be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan and when Martha became concerned about her sister Mary not serving. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke. Chapter 10, we're picking up at verse 25, looking at the rest of the chapter. Title of our study, The Great Commandment. Luke 10, 25, The Great Commandment. We read here in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, couple of things in the way of background. A lawyer in that day, not a secular lawyer, but a Jewish lawyer, we know them primarily as scribes. These were men who spent their entire life studying the Word of God. Today we would call them scholars or theologians. So this isn't just a secular lawyer. This is a guy who specializes in the law of God. That's where he's spent his entire life. It's important to know. There are some things he's doing right, and of course there are some things he's getting wrong. It's often easier to find the things that they're getting wrong. So let me show you a couple things he's getting right. First, he's thinking spiritually about eternity, and that has to be a good thing. This puts him miles ahead of many people today who never give a thought to what's going to happen When they die, what's going to happen when we pass from this life into whatever lies ahead? Well, God says there is life after death. And if you're in Christ Jesus, it's a glorious, glorious, wonderful future. But if you're not and don't deal with that issue, well, the future is as bleak and horrible as it could possibly be. Well, Anyway, here's a guy thinking spiritually. He's thinking about eternity. The second thing is he seems to be willing to do whatever is required of him in order to obtain or inherit eternal life. There's a built-in problem with this. What can I do? What should I do? What's required for me to do? And that is there's really nothing we can do to obtain such an inheritance. It's already been done for us in 
Jesus' cross by his shed blood. But, but remember, he's about the law. And so the law is all about what you're not supposed to do and what you are supposed to do. So he's thinking in terms of what he can do. And we'll give him. He seems willing. Hey, what is required of me? What do I need to do? The third thing is he responds to Jesus' question by showing us he actually knows the law. Now, he should know it. He's a lawyer. Uh, you know, he's a scribe. But, but he knows not just the law in general. He understands the greatest commandment. And he also is aware of the royal law. That's what James calls the second part of all of this, that the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus responds to him, asking him, first of all, well, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? That first question is so important for us today and so important for this generation because this is a time, well, unlike any other time where just anyone can post their thoughts and get response. I mean, if you read the blogs, and I got to tell you, I go crazy with that stuff. Not that I'm in it. I go crazy. I don't want anything to do with it because there is just so... There are so many people with an exaggerated sense of the importance of their opinion. And, uh, and I got to tell you, we don't need to know what ignorant people think about the afterlife. We need to know what the Bible says about the afterlife. We don't need to know what ignorant people have to say about how we should live now. We need to know what the Word of God has to say. And the fact that Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? That's what we should be asking people. By the way, I don't want to discourage you if you're a blogger. No offense meant. I'm just saying that's not my thing, you know. And, but if you're into all that, let me encourage you. Rather than when you read an opinion, sharing your opinion. When you read an idea, sharing your idea. Why not just respond by telling them what the Word of God says? Now, a lot of people just flat out, if you said the Bible says, their next response is going to be, I don't believe the Bible. But Jesus says, well, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, then you can respond. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and uh, there will always be a biblical answer for everything people have to say. And, and my point is this, people really need to know the Word. In the 50s, like, I know that sounds like really long ago. Doesn't seem that long ago to me. But in the 50s, when I was growing up, the Word of God was just throughout the culture. You saw it at school. You got it at Sunday school. It was in the neighborhoods. There were conversations about it. TV shows quoted it. There were songs on the radio that were about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You know, I mean, that, and we're talking secular radio. There was no Christian radio that I'm aware of. And, and, and so things have changed so dramatically. There is such a need for just people to know the word. Now, you've taken a very important step. You're a student of the word. Or you wouldn't be here. If you're visiting with us, I want to tell you, we study through the word. We don't just pick from it or choose those things we're interested in. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the entire scripture. We've done it. Well, a couple times we're going to keep on doing it. But, but my point in all of this is this guy is, is a real 
student and scholar. He knows the word. The problem has to do with his ability to apply it to his own situations. And we're going to see that's a problem that a lot of people have. Well, what's written in the law, he asks. And then he says, what is your reading of it? The word for reading is an interesting one here. It almost always... Well, it it speaks to reading aloud, and and that's in the first century the only way you could really read it if you were a commoner. You you, uh, would have to go to where you couldn't actually read it. Excuse me. You'd have to go where someone had the scrolls they went on. Roll them. They would read it to you. So all of the scripture reading that happened in the synagogues and that happened in the temple grounds and all that, it was always reading aloud. But there's something else in this particular word. It's like what he's saying is, is it clear to you? Do you really understand it? Uh, Have you and are you experiencing it? The word for reading here is actually built on the root for a word that speaks to the reality of experiential knowledge. It's gnosko is the root word. And it's not an intuitive knowledge, not just something we think we we can put together, but something we're actually experiencing. And so Jesus is actually asking him, are you experiencing what you're reading? You know what it says. Here's a simple way to ask the question. Are you doing it well what is he telling him he must do love god with all his heart and soul and mind and strength and love his neighbor as himself well both of these have a context and and so when he quotes the two understand he's pulling the first out of the book of deuteronomy fifth book of moses when he quotes the second he's pulling it out of leviticus the third book of moses so here's a guy he studied moses He's memorized the scripture. He meditates on it. He's able to say this goes with this and put them together. And so he is far along for for somebody who, you know, in the first century is is trying to put together who God is and what God wants and all those things. Well, let me give you a little bit of the context. Deuteronomy, the passage where it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It comes out of something called the Shema. It's something that you've probably heard and that they would quote every single day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So he's saying, read it, memorize it meditate on it. That's what it means to have it in your heart, storing it up, treasuring it there so you'll have it when you need it. And then he says, teach it diligently or teach them these things diligently to your children. That speaks to the need for formal instruction. And if you're entrusting your kids to our Sunday school teachers, well, hey, that's a great thing, but you need to know this. They're supposed to be assisting you in the training up and teaching of your children in the word of God and the ways of God. If you're relying on what your kids get in an hour a week or a couple hours a week, they need far more than that. 
And you need far more than that. I'm enjoying this particular season, two-year-old grandson, and, and uh, whenever he comes and spends uh, afternoons and days and nights with us, and whenever he's there, whenever we're putting him down, whether it's for a nap or in the evening or whenever, we have a, a kid's Bible right next to uh, his bed there on the dresser, and, and it's always open to the last place we looked. And, and, you know, kids are like that. They're like, they just want anything but to go to bed. So he's like, book, book, you know, and it's like, hey, happy to read it to you. And even though it's a children's Bible and the stories are abbreviated, it's blessing me to bless him by showing him the pictures. And I'm filling in the blanks. He can't read anyway. I can say whatever I want. And so there's only ten words on the page. I'm giving four paragraphs. But, But my point is this. He needs that and I need that. And so your kids need it as well. And he says, teach your kids diligently, formal. And then he says, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's just saying in every situation, informal teaching is often the very best teaching because you're helping them connect the dots between the principles we read in Scripture and the situations that they're finding themselves in. And if you're not doing that for others, you may not even be doing it for yourself. And I found that the easiest way for me to be clear about something is try to explain it to somebody little. Now, two-year-old, and I ask a lot of questions yet, but, but get with a six-year-old. They will ask you questions that blow your mind, and, and you'll be like, whoa, I never thought of that, and how would I explain that? Or do I even have an answer for it? And, and so he's saying it should be in our conversation when we're laying down and rising up, when we're walking by the way. And then he says, bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And if you've ever seen Orthodox Jews with the little thing around their, uh, you know, their, their wrist and it's got a little box or they got the little box up here, phylacteries and such, and they have that thing going, they got these things and in that little box, this scripture. And, and so they took God very literally as far as making sure it was on the wall Make sure it was on the doorpost, making sure it was on the forehead and in the hand, but not so literally to make sure it was in the heart and that they really understood it. Well, the context of the second quotation reveals how practical our love for one another is supposed to be. And, and, and it comes out of Leviticus 19. You don't have to go there. I'm only going to share a few thoughts from it, but, but let me say that you should be familiar with these things. I'm sharing all this because we need to know this is what he knew. This is his context. So it's not just that he'd memorize a couple verses. No, he knew the passages. He knew the context. And, and we want to make sure we have that as well. When it came to practical ministry, and there's no such thing as impractical ministry, so I shouldn't even have to use the word together, but because we can think of ministry and be kind of vague in what we're talking about. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. You shall gather the glean, not gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard or gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This was God's provision for the widow, for the orphan, for the impoverished. We saw it in the book of Ruth. Those of you who've studied through it or read it, that, that 
He just says, hey, you've got a field. When you harvest, you only go through it once. That way, whatever's left is left for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan. When you go through it, make sure you leave the corners. Why? Those are the easiest to get to. They're in four different areas. So people over here or over here, they have easy access to just meet their basic needs. And, and, And so he's straight up just saying, hey, this is practical love. This is what Jesus wants us to understand that he understood and and I'm sure there's application. We should be able to uh, connect those dots. He says, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So he says, don't curse or stumble. Do honor and respect the Lord. And in fact, in each of these little sections, and there are just five or that were four or five that we're going to, you know, quickly lay a foundation with, he concludes by saying, I am the Lord, your God, or I am the Lord. In other words, you do this because of who I am, because of who's commanding it. And then he says, uh, you know, after he says, well, of course, we're not to steal. We're not to deal falsely. We're not to swear by my name falsely. Did I skip over verse 11? Looks foreign to me. Uh, You shall not profane the name of the Lord your God. Don't cheat your neighbor or rob him. Yeah, I did skip over 11. Well, anyway, they're all talking about the same thing. Honesty, integrity, doing what's right in the sight of God and doing what's a blessing to your fellow man. Now, it's kind of a given if you're if you're not cheating and you're not lying and you're not profaning. Well, then you're going to be closer to the will of God. And so it's and again, this guy's a lawyer. He's into the law. It's all about what I'm not to do. And it's all about what I'm supposed to do. That's why he asked, what do I need to do? Because in his mindset, it has to be something he can do. And uh, we're going to find out that that's not exactly the case. Well, you shall do no injustice, verse 15, in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Nor, no partiality, equal justice for all. It's the basis of our legal system originally. Then he says, you shall not go about as a talebearer or take your stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Finally, in verse 17, and this again, make a middle note, Leviticus 19, so you can go look at it in some depth later. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's not just love God and love your neighbor. It's very clear instruction as to how we're to love God. And and by the way, when he says with heart and mind and soul and strength, he's not trying to compartmentalize those. People do that today. Oh, I think this way, but I feel this way. And, and, And I know this, but I can still do that. No, he's saying with your whole person. He's not trying to divide us into various, you know, categories of what I think and what I feel and, and, and how I use my strength. No, he's saying with all that you are, with all that's in you, love the Lord. And then, and then he's saying practically, as practically as you can. If people are hungry, feed them. If they're naked, clothe them. And you know Jesus teaches these exact things. So uh, basically it comes down to love your neighbor as yourself. I told you already, James 2.8 calls it the royal law. And so Jesus is telling him, love God perfectly and love your neighbor 
practically and you will live. Oh, that sounds pretty simple. I don't think there's any of us that would say, well, I don't understand that. No, you can understand it. Love God perfectly and love people practically. The problem is none of us have ever been able to do that. Oh, you say, well, I love God with all that's in me. I doubt that it's perfect. And, and when it comes to practically loving your neighbor as yourself, well, you might be like this guy. Well, who's my neighbor? I mean, my one next door neighbor, way cool, but that other guy, I love him. Yeah, man, that's, I'm not sure. I'm so grateful for my neighbors. I have the best neighbors in the world. One side, a, a couple, they, they moved in not long after we did. They've had a couple kids. I've gotten to dedicate those kids to the Lord, you know. And, and we don't have a very, very close relationship, but it's a very friendly relationship and just neat, neat people. On the other side, is a very cool deal because, you know, like Pam's got this eight-cylinder car. He drives a Prius. And so we're kind of balancing out the whole neighborhood, you know, and uh, making sure that, you know, we're taking care of the environment in the process. But, but uh, really neat people. And, and so I've got good neighbors. They're easy to like. They're easy to love. But, but not everybody has that. And I know some of you have like, man, you should hear the neighbor stories people have shared. Well, listen, here's the deal. Paul has this to say, the Apostle Paul. Let me read you Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. This is why you don't need to memorize Leviticus anymore. You don't need to memorize Deuteronomy anymore. He says it's all summed up in this. The law of the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of law. Now, he's not saying if I have warm, fuzzy feelings for my neighbors, I don't need to worry about the rest. No, he's saying if I have actual love for them biblically... I'm not going to lie to them or steal from them. I'm not going to I'm not going to in any way do anything that would be bad for them. I won't be a stumbling block to them. I'll be an encouragement. I'll be building them up, not tearing them down. I'll be speaking truth, not lying or or distorting anything. And, And so he's saying we can sum it up in this love God and love your neighbor. It makes it so much simpler, but there's still one more problem. As Jesus says to him, and we read it in verse 28, so here we are again. You have rightly answered, or you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, I heard a poem years ago that actually presents the problem and the solution. Do this and live, the law demands, but gives me neither strength nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. And what the poem is saying is really what we learn in this passage, that the law is not able to bring me to the place God wants me to be. The law was never given so that we would think, oh, I'm righteous. And remember verse 29. He wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Here's the heart of the problem. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This guy is missing an opportunity. I want to make sure you don't miss today. He's missing an opportunity to to confess his inability. 
to, to say, I've tried, Lord, but I failed. I mean, I want to love God with all that's in me, but, but I, I just, man, I'm so selfish and so self-centered and so stupid. And, 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 and I want to love people practically and meet their needs. But again, the whole selfish thing kind of gets in the way. And in other words, if he had said, that's impossible, at least for me. What can I do? What should I do? How do I deal with this issue? Well, Jesus not only has the solution, he is the solution. He point him to the cross. That's where he takes us. The answer is the cross. In today's study, Pastor Sam made the connection between keeping the law and loving others. Sam quoted 1 Corinthians 13.3, where we are told, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned... But have not love, it profits me nothing. To more clearly understand this connection, read the Ten Commandments. As you consider each one of them, ask yourself a few simple questions. The first four commandments are in regard to our relationship with God. If we truly love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, would we ever really want to break those commandments? Well, the next six commandments are in regard to our relationship with others. If we truly love others with all of our heart, mind, and soul, would we ever really want to break those commandments? This is why it is best to strive for love rather than to strive to keep God's law. Love will keep you better than you can keep yourself. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.